This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Friday on the podcast means the weekly news recap, where we break down the top local stories from the last seven days like the tornado that hit the western suburbs. You can see just utter devastation here in Naperville. It was a long, emotionally rough day yesterday, picking through rubble and, you know, finding the things that are important. A renaming on hold. There was a deal being floated. They would have changed the name to DeSable Lakeshore Drive. And some fiery exchanges between Alderman and the mayor. I have um, considered your appeal and I've denied it. I'm a grown woman like she is. We are co-workers and clearly she doesn't understand that and I'll make her understand that. Joining me to go behind the headlines this week is Heather Sharon, politics reporter for WTTW, Channel 11's Chicago Tonight. Hey, Heather. Hey, Sasha. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Christian Farr, reporter for WMAQ NBC5. Welcome back, Christian. Hey, Sasha. How's it going? Let's start off with City Council. Wednesday's meeting got pretty chaotic before abruptly ending. Heather, tell us what happened on Wednesday. We were just getting underway and we thought that Celia Meza was about to be confirmed as the first Latina to run the city's law department when it was blocked by Alderman Jeanette Taylor and Alderman Raymond Lopez, who were angry about the law department's handling of the lawsuit filed by Anjanette Young, who was the social worker who was handcuffed while naked while police officers mistakenly raided her house and back back in February 2019. Uh, That brought the meeting to a screeching halt and a quick adjournment afterwards means that we're all back here at City Hall waiting to see if we can get it done today. Have you ever seen something like this happen in, in council chambers before, Heather? Never. I've covered City Council for five years and even though I wasn't around for the Council Wars days in, in the 1980s, nobody in recent memory can remember a mayor leaving the, the rostrum and confronting an alderman. Mayor Lightfoot confronted Jeanette Taylor, who we heard just at the top of the show, and urged her to drop her objection to Mesa's confirmation. And, you know, the, the conversation between the two women was animated. At one point, Mayor Lightfoot raised her hands. Uh, alderman Taylor said afterwards that she told the mayor to lower her hand and to stop treating her like a child. This is, is truly unprecedented open conflict between the mayor and and members of the city council an indication that the mayor's relations with the city council are are truly at a low point. Then yesterday, 22 aldermen signed a letter warning Mayor Lightfoot to follow the appropriate rules of procedure. Christian, do you think the mayor is just at this historically low point right now in terms of dealing with the aldermen? It's pretty tough across the board, isn't it? I mean, the mayor came in with a great deal of support, we've seen this kind of slide down, especially with the violence in the city. I remember covering 
the uh, Anjanette Young uh, home invasion case, which uh, has made national, if not international, headlines with uh, how raids are conducted. And then it's the response to that that really has uh, kind of put some pressure on the mayor. Then we've got the violence issue as well in the city of Chicago and how you're analyzing those numbers. So the mayor's under a great deal of pressure right now, and uh, I think a lot of us are just looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with her uh, when it comes to a re-election. Well, once again, the vote to rename parts of Lakeshore Drive after the first non-Indigenous settler to Chicago, that's Jean-Baptiste Point du Sable, it stalled this week. Now the group behind the renaming says they're open to a compromise. So, Heather, what is the compromise name and what is the likelihood that that's going to get approved? Well, my crystal ball is on the fritz. I have no idea what's going to happen in about an hour. The compromise that could be presented would rename Lakeshore Drive as Jean-Baptiste Point du Sable Lakeshore Drive, keeping that iconic Lakeshore Drive name, but paying homage to the city's first non-native settler and hoping to bridge that gap on an issue that's become really fraught and contentious and has really once again exposed the racial divide in Chicago. Christian, what do you think of the compromise name? I think we're in a racial reckoning that's going on right now, aren't we? I mean, yeah. we're, we're starting to look at things that we didn't look at before. Um, we're looking at all the monuments that are in the city of Chicago. We're looking at monuments across the country as well. Is the appropriate time right now to do this? I think so. I think um, it's more than just the discussion. I think people are looking for action. Uh, we've got other streets, major streets in Chicago that have other names changed. Um, and so um, I just think that this is something that probably needs to be talked about, thought about, and a deal needs to be made uh, to make this happen. Sooner rather than later. Heather, let's quickly take a look at a couple ordinances that did get introduced in City Council on Wednesday before that chaos that we talked about. Uh, the head of the Transportation Committee is hoping electric scooter rentals can keep on rolling here in Chicago. So what's the ordinance proposing exactly? The last two summers, both 2019 and 2020, the city had a limited numbers of a scooter share program in the city in certain designated areas. And this proposal from Alderman Howard Brookins would allow those scooters to return on a permanent basis, but would prevent them from being ridden on the sidewalk. And it would require the scooters to be chained to a pole or other infrastructure to keep them from creating a, a mess on the city sidewalk, which is what the city got a lot of complaints about. It's not clear to me, though, that even with Brookins' support and the support of the mayor, that there is a majority of votes on the city council for allowing scooters to return. They were very unpopular in some far south side wards, and I think that the downtown alderman, Alderman Brendan Riley, has a lot of concerns about what it would mean for his ward, which, as we know, sometimes the sidewalks can get very crowded, and some north side wards that have really had a very significant number of incidents between bicycles and pedestrians. So it's a little bit unclear whether scooters are in Chicago's future, mm. but the mayor supports them and sees them as a way to reduce congestion and reduce short car trips and maybe even reduce the city's reliance on ride hailing. Also at Wednesday City Council meeting, two aldermen introduced an ordinance aiming to curb the amount of plastic in our takeout food orders. Can you briefly fill us in on that, Heather? 
So this is what happens like when you go to a Giordano's or someplace and you get order for takeout and you don't necessarily ask for the little packet of the napkin and the plastic utensils, but it's in your bag anyway and you end up taking it home and eating it home with your nice silverware. So you end up tossing that out or it ends up in a drunk drawer that eventually overflows and you have to sell your house and leave because it's impossible to get rid of all of them. And so this would basically say, hey, restaurants, if somebody asks for them, give them this. But if they don't ask for them, don't put it in the bag Let in an attempt to reduce waste. Several years ago, a proposal that would have banned all styrofoam food containers as well as non-biodegradable plastic ware was introduced by Alderman Scott Weixback. It was never called for a hearing okay. because the Restaurant Association and other business interests objected to it saying that it would create too much of a cost for businesses that were already struggling. And of course, we know businesses continue to struggle after the pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with this proposal. Well, you're calling us from City Hall right now, Heather. So (laughs) as we close out this part of our recap, what are you expecting to see when, when City Council reconvenes this afternoon? Well, I think that there is going to be a lot of attention on how Mayor Lightfoot runs this meeting. You talked a little bit about how she got that letter from 22 aldermen calling on her to follow the rules and to not use the rules to benefit her favored proposals and her allies on the city council. People will be watching very closely to see whether she continues to sort of use the rules of the city council to try to give what she wants to happen a a leg up. And that, of course, will be most pronounced on whatever happens with Lakeshore Drive and DuSable Drive. And it is going to be a real test of the mayor's ability to preside over a city council where many aldermen are deeply angry at her and want to see her make some sort of attempt to bridge that divide. Christian, we've talked already this week because there was another big story. Yeah, that tornado that ripped through the western suburbs on Sunday night. Uh, You arrived just after the tornado hit. You arrived on scene. Tell us what it looked like when you got there. Uh, We had a lot of roof damage. You had a lot of trees down. I mean, complete tree lines gone because of the force of this tornado. And all the guesses that evening as I was listening to Brant Miller and Andy Avalos, our two meteorologists who have a great deal of history in the city of Chicago when it comes to weather, um, guessing that maybe this is an EF1, two turned out to be an EF3 tornado, significant amount of damage. And then, you know, we initially didn't think a lot of people were injured, but we did have some injuries and some people did end up in the hospital. So it was just a really devastating situation. What were residents telling you that night, the ones that were hardest hit? You got some people who said, I heard nothing at all. And they were just uh, literally on the next side street um, or the next street over. Whereas if you, you walked just 30 seconds out of their home, you saw all of these trees down, um, roofs ripped off. There was one home where uh, the roof completely collapsed in. They had a den on the second floor. That was completely destroyed. The garage was gone. Um, you had trees blocking streets um, all over the place. You had other people who heard it, and it sounded like that that classic rumbling that they heard beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, one resident told us that they had the wind just kind of whipping around inside of their house. And all of that insulation was just uh, all over the place. And you could see it in her hair. But, you know, luckily, people paid attention to the warnings. They don't take this lightly. And, and we've had a lot of tornadoes in this area. I covered them in, in, in Coal City more than once. Mm-hmm. You know, this community is going to be greatly impacted by the damage that has happened here. And hopefully next 
year, we don't have another one like this that impacts that same area. What are you hearing about how they're doing now? It looks like the cleanup is, is still going on. It's going to take a while. There are, I believe, still people in the hospital who are recovering from this. And this is not just where I was in Woodridge. You know, you've got Naperville that was affected. You also have Darien that was impacted. Hundreds of homes that were damaged. 22 in Naperville alone that are uninhabitable. So um, you've got people who are going to be, depending on the Red Cross, uh, Salvation Army, both of those agencies always responding to these uh, uh, disaster situations. And so thank goodness they are there to help. So this, you know, this rebuild is going to be a while. So I'm, I'm assuming our stories are going to be extending for not just weeks, but months. That's Christian Farr of NBC5 Chicago. Also with us this week on The Recap is Heather Sharon of WTTW11. Heather, Christian, we got plenty more to get to. Stories like these. Today I'm announcing the all-in for the win vaccine lottery with $10 million in prizes. And if you sign up online or by phone, you can receive a $50 Grubhub gift card. A memorial continues to grow for a young man who police say was shot and killed during the city's annual Puerto Rican Day Parade. There is a decline in both homicides and shootings. Downtown crime appears to be spiking at an alarming rate. The county leaders are expecting a $121 million budget gap next year. The county might tap $1 billion in federal funds to fill the deficit. Nurses who work with Cook County Health System held a one-day strike today after a breakdown in contract negotiations. Heather, we just heard a clip about Cook County nurses striking. About 2,000 other employees at Cook County Health, the Cook County Jail, the Sheriff's Department, and other agencies, they also went on strike this morning. But tell us first about the nurses. What prompted that strike? What do they want? Well, the issue really is, is that, of course, you know, the entire nursing profession is still reeling from the COVID-19 pandemic. And now the nurses want better working conditions. They do not want to pay more for their health care as proposed by the county. And that's why these negotiations have really ground to a halt. Tony Preckwinkle, who, of course, was endorsed by SEIU when she ran for mayor of Chicago unsuccessfully in 2019 and who has been supported by the union, now finds herself on the other side of the table um, with the union, which really wants pay raises and better working conditions, and they don't want to pay more for health care. Now, Tony Preckwinkle has said, look, we haven't increased health care premiums for employees for six years. We now have to because the county cannot con- continue to bear those costs. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Preckwinkle, uh, she described the county's finances as favorable, right? So, Heather, this has a lot to do with that $1 billion in federal COVID relief funds, right? It does, but it's not just the influx of federal cash. It's also the fact that the red hot housing market has meant that people buying and selling houses are paying more than the county anticipated in fees. Um, There's a real estate transfer tax that everybody who buys a house or sells a house has to pay to the county on the completion of that transaction. And that has really helped make up the difference when it comes to drops in sales taxes and hotel occupancy taxes. So 
things are much better than they were a year ago. A year ago, the county was con confronting a $410 million budget shortfall. Uh, it is a relief for the county to really only be facing a $120 million shortfall, although that, of course, is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But when you have a $7 billion budget thereabouts, it's all in perspective. And we covered the nurses, Heather, but what about the other employees? What are they looking for exactly? It's very similar. They don't want to pay more for health care. They want raises and they want better working conditions. And we've seen this from employees really not just for, for governments, but in every sort of, of, of industry, restaurants and retail workers in this sort of post-pandemic world we all find ourselves uh, in, it seems, suddenly. Christian, Chicago continues to struggle with, with violence. Uh, you reported on a young father who was killed in a shooting at the Puerto Rican Day Parade. What details yeah. do we have so far? Yeah, just to recap, you know, what happened there is that there is video that popped up on social media that shows the shooting. Uh, we as a news operation didn't show that because it's pretty graphic, but um, it has been floating around social media. And uh, it shows what police are telling us is a car accident, a bump of two cars, and then somebody gets out, and there is a woman inside of the car who is the girlfriend of the young father. She, she is beaten and shot, and then he comes out trying to protect her, and he is shot and killed mm -hmm. um, during that parade. She dies days later. Um, wow. They had a child together. Just a really tragic situation, but just one of uh, more than 60 shootings that had happened uh, over the weekend. and uh, So do we, do we know, Christian, anything more about, like, how this started? Was this road so, rage and then murder? So this, according to the Chicago Police Department, they are calling it road rage. It was an accident. The people got upset because their car was bumped during the parade or this was after the parade. But when we went out to the scene where a memorial has been growing for both of these people, um, Family members and friends of those who were shot said that during the parade they saw a lot of gang activity, meaning they saw a lot of gang signs being thrown up. So they feel that this had something to do with gang activity, not that this young father and his girlfriend were involved specifically, but that this may have something to do with gang members who did this. Um, and so there's a little bit of talk about that, but, if, but according to the official police narrative, it was a car accident, probably more along the lines, as you mentioned, Sasha, road rage. Yet on Monday, our mayor and police superintendent, they held a press conference where they seemed very optimistic. And we actually heard a clip of uh, police superintendent David Brown saying homicides and shootings are down. Can you help us make sense of this, Christian? I was actually at the press conference that the superintendent held, and I was there really to ask questions about that Humboldt Park shooting, the Puerto Rican Day Parade. But he did mention that, that uh, shootings were down when it came from June to June. The number of shootings were down. Um, and they were pleased by that. And the mayor had spoken uh, right before that and pretty much echoed that as well. Um, but Marion Ahern, who is our political reporter, uh, that day was following uh, the reportings about the shootings. And what she found in her reporting is that uh, homicides were actually up by 5 percent and that shootings were up nearly 20 percent. Now, why we're looking at this discrepancy, I'm not 100 percent certain here, but, right. um, you know, the mayor and the superintendent, I mean, the police department are basically saying, hey, what we're putting in place is working. But it appears that, you know, again, they always say this, and I, and I think that it is appropriate to say is that any shooting is a shooting you don't want to happen. You know, any homicide that you have 
in the city of Chicago you don't want to have to mm-hmm. have happen. But it doesn't appear that we're trending downwards, and I think there's still a lot of concern by people on the streets. There's still a lot of concern. Marion Ahern spoke to some people after that stabbing of that student, uh, which was yet another act of violence that happened uh, this weekend downtown. And there are people who are afraid to walk the streets of Chicago. And uh, we still have that reputation that we are a violent city. How are we going to get past that, I think, is is still a question that many right. residents and, and visitors to the city have. You know, well, as you said, the mayor and, and the superintendent, they always say this. So can we believe them at this point? Because you, you just talked about some conflicting data there. We've got a lot of crime in certain parts of this city. And when that crime trends to downtown Chicago, we make of course, in the media, a very big deal about it because these are our tourist locations. In the 15 years that I've been here, I haven't seen it trend downwards. I've just seen it kind of continue to be the same. It's the same narrative of mothers losing children, of families losing family members. And the solution, you know, looks to be to add more police to it. And there's a lot of pushback. As one alderman told me during the mass shooting that happened recently in Inglewood, uh, Stephanie Coleman, that uh, we have an issue of disinvestment. She said this is this is to blame for that. We need to invest in communities like Inglewood more and give opportunities, jobs and things of that nature in order to sort of change this violence that is happening in the city of Chicago. Let's pivot over to pandemic news. Heather, the uh, the state's eviction ban is set to expire on the 1st of August. You covered that this week. So what did you find out? The state's eviction ban is set to expire at the end of August. Now, we learned this week that President Joe Biden was extending the federal eviction ban for another month to the end of July. I have not gotten word back from the governor's office whether that will mean that the governor will also extend the state's eviction ban for another month to match it. So it's a little bit unclear about what will happen in Illinois. In Chicago, the city's eviction ban will last for two months after the end of the state's ban. So there will be more more protections in place in Chicago, and people can once again, starting Monday morning, apply for rental assistance through the state's Illinois Housing Development Authority, and they can get up to $25,000 to help pay back rent and three months of future rent to sort of stave off that looming tsunami of evictions that everybody's worried about. Before we go, Christian, you covered a unique story this week about a suburban woman that was on a hunger strike. Can you tell us the details? Her name is uh, Rochelle Zola, who just, I believe, wrapped up her hunger strike today, 40 days, fighting for H.R. 40. She had an awakening um, that she believes that uh, black uh, people in this country um, have been uh, treated unfairly and unjustly, and she feels that she's a woman of privilege, and she feels that she has to take on this fight to get H.R. 40, which is federal reparations, a commission for federal reparations for slavery, Jim Crow, and other injustices that have happened. Uh, so she had the um, the help of a Melrose Park church, um, and she did this hunger strike for 40 days, and she's uh, going to keep on pushing. She's been holding Zoom meetings, uh, putting postings up on social media in hopes that H.R. 40 will uh, be passed. We know that it was locally passed here in the city of Evanston two years ago. They started to hand out some of those funds just this year. So there is a lot of traction in other places across the country. Reparations is being talked about, um, of course, after what happened to George Floyd. Well, that is it for the weekly news recap. We have been speaking with NBC5 Chicago's Christian Farr and WTTW Chicago politics reporter Heather Sharon. Thank you both. And that's Reset for today. WBEZ's Reset podcast is produced by Jason Mark. Reset is produced by Meha Ahmed, Steve Bynum, Stephanie Kim, 
Andrea Guthman, and Nareda Moreno, with production help from Stina Chang and Richard Rakenna. Dan Tucker is our executive producer, and Dave Miska is our engineer. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.